And it's not just the mileage. It's not just the amount of time that you have to set aside for training. It's also the amount of time then that goes into recovery. Diz Runs Radio, episode 719, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are, the end of another month, about to turn April showers into May flowers, but uh, before we can do that, got a, got a few cues to A, got some questions to answer as, as we do at the end of each month. You ask, I answer, um, and with a little bit of luck, the answers will actually be uh, somewhat useful, somewhat valuable, maybe a little bit informative, hopefully a little bit entertaining, but uh, hopefully these questions that you all have submitted well, uh, I, I can give you some answers that'll help shine a little light on the situation that you're dealing with. And if you didn't get a question asked this month, um, maybe you know hearing some of these other questions will help you anyway. You know, with something that you're dealing with, or you've wondered about, or whatever the case might be. So, if you want to get your questions answered for the next month's Q and A, for um, you know, as this one comes out, April 2019, if you want to get your questions in for May or June, or July, or whenever, the best way to do that is to join the Facebook group. Head over to uh, disruns.com slash Facebook, or if you're on, you know, next time you're scrolling through Facebook, maybe you're listening to this right now, you're kind of, you know, putzing around on social media, fire up the Facebook app, and uh, just do a quick search for the Disruns tribe, um, and come on over and join us. There's all, there's a couple other different groups, but the, the, the group you want to join um, to get your questions answered is the tribe uh, it's open to uh, open to anyone we kind of have a innocent until proven creepy policy meaning you know you you request to join I'm gonna let you in and then if you turn into a, a giant douche you know trying to promote stuff that has nothing to do with running or, or being really sleazy or smarmy or just being a jerk we'll kick you on out but if you come in join the party join the conversation have some fun crack some jokes share some memes things like that we would love to have you and uh, not that I'm doing anything fancy or special for the thousandth person to join the group, but we are rapidly closing in on a thousand. I would imagine probably, you know, maybe by the time that this episode goes live, if not uh, in the next day or two, we'll be at a thousand people in the group, which is, which is bonkers, which is bonkers. And the group participation is high too, which is, which is fantastic, which just goes to show that maybe we're on track for the, uh, the goal that I have of making uh, the Diz Runs tribe, the Diz Runs group on Facebook, the best running group on uh, on the book of faces so uh thank you to everybody who's in if you want to come join us come join us and like i said somewhere in the middle of each month i put out a post that says hey what are your questions this month that i can answer on the q a episode and as per usual we've got uh, a whole boatload of questions that were um put in this month and uh so i'm going to try to get into and, and answer them and there's a bunch of questions i think there's like 22 23 questions something like that so uh hopefully i can stay concise but detailed enough um, that this episode doesn't turn into a two and a half hour monstrosity, but also that I can, you know, help out. Like I said, try to help out everybody who asked questions. So without any further ado, let's dive in. First question coming from my man, John in Fargo says, uh, what are your thoughts on doubles? Meaning 
running twice on the same day. So then continuing on his question, effective or no, and thoughts on incorporating them into a training plan, as in once you get to a certain mileage or frequency, do they become reasonable, or are they just a way to make sure that you have extra laundry at the end of the week? So, um, John, when it, when it comes to doubles, I think that there's there's a, a, a reason to do them. There's a time and a place to do them. But I think for most people... They're probably not that necessary. So the reason that I would say to, to, to add doubles to your training plan is, you know, for probably the most obvious reason. You're trying to get some more mileage. You're trying to increase that mileage, um, you know, beyond whatever you've been doing, trying to add a few more miles, whether you're training for, uh, you know, a marathon, an ultra, whatever it is, you, you feel like you need some more miles and you can't, due to schedule, due to wanting to have a day or two off each week, you can't add an extra day. So, you know, if, if you're quote unquote only running two times, three times, maybe even four times a week, unless there's some real logistical scheduling issues that are preventing you from adding a fourth, fifth, sixth day of week of running, um, I would say start there when it comes to increasing your mileage. Now, if you're already tapped out, you're already running five or six days a week and, and you're like me and you're like, I, I have to have a rest day, adding a double is okay. Um, because if you're already at six days a week, five days a week of running, you probably have the firm enough base, the firm enough foundation to add that second day. So if you're, if you're going to do that, the one thing that I would recommend is your second run of the day. I don't want to say has to, like it's cut and dry and black and white, but by God, it's, it's the darkest shade of gray that it comes should be an easy run. Now you can do an, an easy, an easy double after doing a hard speed workout or hard tempo run, a, a proper workout you know, for their first run of the day, that's okay. That's okay. Get out there that later that evening or that afternoon or whatever, and kind of shake the, shake the soreness out a little bit, keep it short, keep it easy. Um, but I wouldn't go the other way around. I wouldn't do something easy in the morning and then try to hit it hard later in the day, just because, you know, it, it may kind of come down almost to semantics, but, um, I just think it's, it's better to do the hard workouts which are more likely to stress your body more, which means it's more likely to cause an injury. I just feel like it's better to do those when you're as fresh as possible. So first thing in the morning, it's hard to be much fresher than that. You've just rolled out of bed. You know, you've warmed up a little bit. Your body's about as ready to go. There's about the least amount of life stress possible. That's the time to hit it hard versus later in the day. If you've already run that morning, even with an easy run, a fairly stress-free run, it's just, there's a life stress is just piled up a bit more later in the day. So um, that would be my recommendation on doubles. I don't think they're very often necessary, but again, you know, if you're tapped out because of time, um, you know, maybe you quote unquote only have time to get five or six miles in the morning on some of the, the midday, uh, runs and you would like to get a few more miles. It's okay to add a double. It's okay to add a double. As long as you, you really have, uh, kind of exhausted the opportunities to add extra days to your routine. So that's my thought on doubles. Take, I take them or leave them. I, I've done doubles before. I haven't done doubles in a long time. Um, I just I I would rather get up an extra half an hour early, get that run in, get you know add an extra couple miles in the morning, and then not have to worry about getting back out there. Especially this time of year, of course, being in Florida, summer is is already pretty much here. So you know I'd rather not get back out in the hot and blazing and humidity and things like that later in the day when it's already hot. But at least the sun's not blazing early in the morning. So. I'm not real keen on doubles for myself, but I don't think that they're necessarily a bad thing, 
provided your fitness is to a point where you can handle that extra workload. Uh, but great question, John. Thank you for that one. Next question comes from Michaela. If you're doing heart rate training, will a run or two over the heart rate you know, limit or whatever your max is uh, in a week mess it all up? Like if you're doing a group run or a hill workout, things like that, speed work, things like that. Um, is that going to undo the benefits? And then she kind of follows up with that question and says, or would it be better to do these one, you know, one or two harder workouts a month or nothing at all and just staying in your heart rate zone period? Um, Michaela, there's a little bit of semantics to this one. There's a little bit of, of details that I'm not getting from your question that makes it hard to give a a rock solid answer, but I'll give you some, some context here and, and hopefully you can figure out exactly kind of what I'm trying to say and fit it to your situation. So, um, one or two, Heart, you know, hard workouts per week that are over your heart rate zone is probably pushing your luck for most for most heart rate training guideline situations. So, um, you know, the, when when I talk about heart rate training a lot, I'm typically talking about like kind of the mafetone. You know, you have your maximum aerobic heart rate and you pretty much try to stay under that all the time. Now, within within the mafetone kind of method, if the, I guess that's technically what it's called, right? Um, within that, he's he is a proponent of blowing the doors off once in a while, probably once or twice a month is, is a good target. Maybe once a week, if you're really well-trained high fit, you've, you've got a, a pretty strong aerobic engine, which typically means you've been following heart rate training guidelines for, for years and years, not months and months. Um, so, you know, maybe you get away with a little bit more, but, but once or twice a week, according to Maffetone is definitely overkill, definitely more than, than you need to do and can really inhibit the growth that you're trying to see, the improvement that you're trying to see while sticking to, you know, the, the heart rate training. Um, and, and his recommendation actually, and, and he is kind of the guru on this stuff. His recommendation is for like the first two or three months that you get into heart rate training, never go over the heart rate max, really stay in that zone, air on the side of a few beats below the limit, instead of creeping above the limit, um, walking if necessary, really slow jogging, run walking, whatever you got to do to keep your heart rate underneath that zone. Once you've kind of sort of developed some, some heart rate, you know, some improvements on, on your aerobic fitness by, by sticking with the heart rate training. Then he's a little bit more open to, you know, once every couple of weeks, something like that on days when you're feeling good, going out and hitting it hard. So doing a group workout, doing some hills, doing some, some tempo runs, some speed work, running a race, whatever it might be. He's cool with that. And there's, there's plenty of benefits for that as, as we'll get to in a, in a future question here today. Um, and that's not going to really impact things. Uh, as long as you, you know, the bulk of your training is still within the heart rate zone. Now, other kind of lines of thought when it comes to heart rate training or different types of intensity training, 80, 20 philosophy, meaning 80% of your training volume should be relatively easy, i.e. below that heart rate limit and 20% you should blow the doors off. So that's where you could maybe get into once a week, maybe twice a week. If you kind of follow more of an 80, 20 philosophy, but if you're doing two hard workouts a week, that means you've got to be doing a pretty good chunk of mileage, you know, probably four other days a week and probably longer durations that are, that are very easy to make that 80, 20 formula work. And the 80, 20 is, is the book written by uh, Matt Fitzgerald, um, kind of looking at elite athletes across the spectrum that tend to kind of fit fairly close to that 80, 20, sometimes maybe it's 75, 25, some, maybe it's more like 90, 10, whatever, but that's kind of a, a, a good guideline. Um, I think that, that in most cases, less tends to be more, um, and especially for us mortals, especially for us, um, who are, are, you know, have goals, we're trying to improve, but you know, running isn't what's putting the, uh, the food on the table and the roof over our heads. I think that we're, we're typically better off to err on the side of, 
fewer speed workouts, fewer hard workouts, fewer hill repeat workouts. But when we do them, do them. Hit it hard. Uh, because too often, and I'm guilty of this too, too often we kind of get in that no man's land of like not really hard, but definitely not easy. Um, especially before I really kind of bought into this heart rate training thing. I was often in that middle ground of meh, you know, and that's the last place you want to be. So, um, hopefully somewhere in there, Michaela, that that's going to make sense to you and, and your specific situation. But again, when it comes to heart rate training, uh, and, and I think whether you want a heart rate, whether you want to call it heart rate training or whether you just want to call it intelligent training, training easy, most of the time is your best bet. And then when you're going to go hard, go hard. Okay. Um, next question comes from Kevin says, uh, I had a six week layoff after surgery from all activity. The surgery was non-running related due to cancer started running with the doctor's approval three weeks ago, two to three runs per week, all at an easy pace. When can I add speed work in and how, you know, what is the best way to do that? Well, first of all, Kevin, congratulations on, uh, what, what I'm assuming and, and what, I, what I know I've gathered a little bit from some of your posts in the, in the Facebook group as well. That was a successful surgery. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, just from, from what I know about cancer, um, you're not completely out of the woods yet, but if you're running already, that means that the prognosis is good, which is, which is fantastic. So glad that that, uh, is, is, uh, going in the right direction and, uh, obviously wish you nothing but, uh, continued good health and, uh, you know, no, no reoccurrence of that cancer anytime, uh, anytime in the future at all. So to get to your question, coming back from surgery, some type of injury, some type of layoff that, that like you said, non-running related, but definitely um, a, a, a bit of a time off. You know, I would I would kind of loose rule of thumb, and y'all know where I stand on rules of thumb and and uh, you know uh, general advice and things like that. It's not exactly my favorite thing to do. Not exactly my favorite place that my, my favorite well to go to. But you know, if if you were off for six weeks, then I would say that that six weeks plus or minus is a pretty good metric of, I should probably keep things easy for about the same amount of time that I was off. Now that's, that's certainly not a hard and fast rule. It's going to depend on, on obviously how you're feeling. And in your case, Kevin, how the, I don't know if there's any, you know, continued chemo or radiation or things like that, that's going to be stressing your body out. So maybe, maybe you would need to go even longer than that. Um, but I would say that at, at minimum aim for about six weeks and, and hopefully over the course of those six weeks, you know, like you said, you're going two to three runs per week right now that are easy. You know, maybe you get that up to four or five easy runs and, and you start to, to, you know, build in a longer run on, on one day per week so that your, your volume is getting up a little bit. You're building that base, but keeping the effort easy. You know, your, your body is, uh, I'm assuming and, and still recovering from the cancer treatments, still fighting, fighting off, you know, whatever, and still, still recovering, of course. Um, so now is not the time to overly stress the system. You know, give give yourself plenty of time. Give yourself six weeks. Shoot, give yourself six months. Whatever. Um, obviously, still checking in with the doctor as well. Um, but when you really start to feel really strong, like your fitness is pretty much back to where it was pre uh, surgery, pre treatment, that's when I would say is the better bet to start to to get back into some speed work, some higher intensity work. Um, and what's the best way to do that? Don't, don't go crazy, you know, start with, with maybe, um, I, I usually like to start when I'm working with, with somebody who's been off for a while or dealt with an injury coming back to either some short intervals and just a handful of them. So like three or four by two minutes or something like that, where you're pushing pretty hard for two minutes, but short and sweet, or 
And I think probably the better bet in, in a lot of cases is start with something like tempo paced effort or a longer repeat, like a one mile repeat and just do one or two of those, but something where you're pushing the pace, but it's not like an all out sprint. Cause you start to do the short ones. You start to do one minute repeats, two minute repeats, um, quarter mile repeats. And you really are pushing like pretty maximally, maximally. And for your first, you know, speed workouts back after what, what's going to probably be three months, four months for you, Kevin. Um, I wouldn't, I, I, you know, you, you might not have any issues as far as, you know, physical injuries related to really pushing that hard, but you're going to be sore. You know, if you haven't worked your muscles real hard and then you all of a sudden you dive into quarter mile repeats or one minute sprints, um, even if you're only doing a handful of them, you're going to be hurting the next day as opposed to do two miles at tempo pace or, you know, uh, two by one mile repeats where you're, you're still pushing hard, but it's not all out. So I would start, I actually, I, re, I refract, I, re, I retract what my earlier statement was about starting with a couple two minute repeats and say, go with something longer, go with, go with, um, two miles at tempo pace, go with, uh, uh, you know, two by one mile or something like that. Um, where you're pushing the pace, but it's not nearly all out, but it's, it's going to be working. You're going to still be sore. Um, but start there and then kind of ease into, you know, some of the fastest that maybe get to some half mile repeats and then some quarter miles and things like that. And then you can start, uh, you know, inching up the ladder as far as number of, of reps. So start with, with yes, higher intensity, but not maximal intensity, a little bit longer duration at higher intensity and kind of work backwards because the harder you go, the harder it is on your body. So, you know, just, just, uh, ease into it, be smart. But, uh, again, the, the mo- more important thing is glad that the, the treatment and the surgery went well and hope, uh, obviously for continued health for you, Kevin. So, uh, great, great update. It's, it's been great to follow your progress and thanks for keeping us updated and, and obviously thoughts and prayers and good wishes and good vibes and all those things coming your way from all of us. Uh, please, please keep taking, taking care of yourself and uh, glad to have you back on the running front, my friend. Uh, next question comes from Bruce says, if you could run with any fictional character, who would it be? This was probably the toughest question for me this month because, um, it's just, I mean, you know, there's so many people out there and, and for me, I think the, the, before I get to the actual definitive answer, you know, the, the, the metric that I used is like, who would be the most fun to have a conversation with? Cause there's plenty of ca- fictional characters out there that I'd love to sit down and have, and have a beer with or a cup of coffee with and, and, and shoot the, shoot the bull with for a while or whatever. But like, who would be fun? Who would just be fun conversationally? to go for a run. And obviously I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving a dozen people on the, uh, that I'm forgetting about, you know, that, that, uh, just over, you know, couldn't think of cause I didn't like go to the DVD cabinet or fire up Netflix and look at all the shows and try to figure out who would be the, the best one. But I was just kind of thinking from the shows I watch, um, the characters that I enjoy, who would it, who would be somebody that would just be fun to go out for a six or eight or 10 mile run with, and just, you know, just chat with, just have some conversation, share some stories. And I'm going with Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Um, just, you know, if you watch the show, you know, he's a hoot, uh, just crazy stories, crazy, random odds and ends, things like that. Um, I think that would be fun. Um, I don't know that it'd be a productive conversation, but it'd be a fun conversation. And that's, that's what I want. You know, if I'm going out for a, a run with a fictional character, I want it to be a fun conversation. So Phil Dunphy is my answer. Uh, but, uh, but thanks for that question. Bruce. always, always fun to get those real random questions that make me kind of stop and go, huh? Like, I don't know. I don't know who it would be. My first impulse was Ron Swanson, but then I kind of figured if it was me and Ron Swanson running together, um, we wouldn't be talking very much. We'd just be running. And so I could just do that by myself. So, you know, who would I want to talk to, uh, probably, and who would, who would be fun to listen to talk 
probably Phil Dunphy. So uh, great, 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 easy for me to say. Great question, Bruce. Thank you. Next question from Karen says, I've heard it's good to have a couple of pairs of shoes to rotate and that they should preferably be different brands. This way your foot is working a little differently since the shoes are different. What are your thoughts? How many shoes do you keep in your rotation? So, um, I think that it's not a, a bad practice. I don't think that it's a requirement. Um, but I think it, it, it I, maybe even more than think, uh, I, it, it really depends on how often you're running. So if you're quote unquote only running two or three times a week, well, you're not running two or three times in a row, but you know, maybe you're running Monday, Thursday, and Saturday, something like that. Really one pair of shoes is probably fine, you know, because it, one, one of the big benefits or one of the big reasons that you don't want to run in the same pair of shoes several days in a row is that the foam in your shoes starts to compress from, from the running, especially if you're running longer distances. You know, if you're, if you're, if your midweek runs are in the four, five, six, seven mile range, that's you're out there for an hour, hour plus. Um, and you do that two or three or four days in a row, that foam in your shoes starts to get compressed. And now all of a sudden that cushion that, that you're paying for in your shoes, there's not as much there because you've compressed it all down and it hasn't bounced back, but you give, give your shoe 24 to 36 to 48 hours for that, that, uh, foam, to rebound after you've run them and they tend to stay cushy longer. The lifespan of the shoes tends to be a bit longer. Um, so that's, that's really probably the best reason for having different shoes in the rotation. Now your, your point about having some different models, maybe having one that's zero drop and one that's a little bit higher drop, um, just to kind of change the way your, your foot hits the ground. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. And certainly some, some logic to that, that side of things, because it's going to, it's going to change the way your foot works. It's going to stress some different muscles, stress some different uh, parts of your your anatomy, so that you're not wearing out the same spot by consistently stressing that that one same spot. Um, so I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with having multiple shoes of the same brand. I, I don't know that I would always necessarily go with the same type, although I've I've got like three or four pairs of uh, Ultra Escalantes that I wear on a fairly regular basis. So I'm you know I'm, I'm kind of rotating through the same the same type of shoe. Um, but I mean, pretty much all of my shoes are Ultras. Uh, pretty much, I mean all of my shoes are ultras. Um, but you know, they come with different, uh, amounts of cushioning. So some days I've got the Torrens on, which have a bit more cushion. Some days it's the, the solstice, which have very, very little cushion, which are actually kind of my jam. I like the, the less amount of cushioning. And that really gets into, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you wear a shoe that doesn't have much of any foam to it, nothing, nothing between you and the ground, but you know, a little bit of sole to protect your feet, you really then probably don't need much of a, of a rotation because there's no foam to compress. So, you know, I think, I think honestly, right now I've probably got three pairs of shoes, three pairs of road shoes that are in the rotation, but it's not a set rotation. Um, I wear my, my one pair of, uh, Escalantes the vast majority of the time, um, mix in a solstice once in a while, mix in a Torin once in a while. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. You know, I, I, I worry more about what's my body saying, how is my body feeling? I, I like to think I'm pretty well in touch with my body. Um, and so if I, if I start to feel a little bit achier somewhere that, that doesn't seem normal based on, you know, just doing an easy run, that's when I'm looking at, well, do I need to rotate shoes? Do I need to, to retire this pair of shoes? Things like that. So, um, I don't know. I, like I said, I, I don't think it's, I definitely don't think it's a bad thing to have multiple shoes in your rotation, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that you absolutely should. Um, not a bad idea though, especially if you're running on the roads or running on a hard surface repeatedly, it's not, it's not going to hurt you. It, it may prevent you from getting injured. So, you know, when in doubt, and, and like any of us as runners really need an excuse to buy more pairs of shoes, have two pairs of shoes, rotate them out. It's going to make the life cycle longer, um, which is a good thing. It's going to 
wear down a little bit on some of the aches and pains as well, most likely. So get a couple pairs. Do you need to have a dozen? No. Is it a bad thing to have a dozen? Eh, not really. It's, you know, like I said, like we ever need an excuse to get another pair of shoes, right? Uh, but hope that all made sense, Karen. Uh, and thank you for the question. Next one coming from Jerry says, uh, for the longest run in your marathon training plan, what do you recommend? I've heard everything from 24 K to 44 K, but most often 32 K seems to be the most uh, commonly recommended. What is your recommendation and why? So for those of you that don't speak metric, uh, 24 K, let me do the quick math there. 25 K would be 15.5 miles. So 24 K is going to be probably right about 15 flat. Um, 44 K is just past marathon distance. 42.2 K I believe is the marathon distance. And then 32 K is pretty much right at 20 miles. So, um, you know, what, what, what do you recommend is, is Jerry's question. And, um, for those of you that have read the book and, uh, remember the book, you know, that, uh, I don't have necessarily a solid recommendation. I think all three of those numbers that you threw out, Jerry are very valid. I think there's, there's, um, I think that I would in most cases recommend going, past 24 K going past 15 miles for, for a marathon, especially for the first, if it's your first marathon and getting closer to that 32 K that 20 mile territory for the, as, as a bare bones minimum. Cause if you can do that and hopefully you've, you've done it maybe a couple of times or, you know, have enough other miles in your, in your training week that, you know, that by the time you get to race day, you'll be able to go that last 10 K you'll be able to go that last six miles because quite honestly, it's a big jump from mile 20 to mile 26.2. Like that, that it, it might only be a 10 K, you know, it might numbers wise. You might think, well, yeah, shoot 20 miles. That's, that's three times farther. No, 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 no. Like 20 miles, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of serious. Like that's the halfway point of a marathon. Like you get to 20 miles, you're tired, you're fatigued. You don't really want to do this anymore. You still have six miles to go. You still have a 10 K to go. That's, that's a long way. So, um, I, I think that, that, quote unquote, only running 20 miles for your, for your marathon training leaves a lot of uncharted territory. It's doable. That's definitely, I think the most common recommendation. If you can get to 20, you can get to 26. And I agree with that, but that's a lot of, of uncharted territory. Um, so, you know, if you can get to 22, 23 miles, which would be like 35, 36 K, I think that's a really good sweet spot for most people, you know, give yourself five or six K left, you know, give yourself three or four miles left that you have to do on, on race day. Uh, by the time you taper, by the time you, you are recovered and rested and you got the race day adrenaline, things like that. Um, you know, you can, I feel like that's, it's easier to ride off of the adrenaline, the excitement, the atmosphere for two or three miles than it is to do that for six plus miles for a 10 K. Um, so, you know, somewhere in that 35, 36, 37 K, um, again, 20, 22, 23 miles. I think that's uh, that's a, a really good spot, especially if you're, um, have been running for a while, you've got some base underneath you, you've got some good, a good firm fitness foundation. Um, that's, that's not really asking too much. You do that, you know, two or three weeks out from the race day, start ramping down after that. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're gonna have plenty of time to recover, plenty of time to be rested and ready to go for the race. Um, and, and you know, if you're a bit more aggressive, you've been running a bit longer, maybe you have some, a bit more ambitious goals. I am not one of the, the coaches or the, the experts or the gurus that buys into or that, that shies away from maybe a better way of saying it of running marathon distance or farther. Um, I just think that there's something to being comfortable and being confident in your ability to go 26, 27, 28 miles, you know, so 42, 45, 48 kilometers, something like that. Um, I think there's value to that. 
I don't think that's for everybody. I certainly don't think that it's necessary, but you know, if, if you're, if you're really worried about finishing strong, I just don't see that there's any, any, um, way to build your confidence as a, or maybe not that there's any way, but I think that one very good way to build that confidence is to do it, to do it. So whether it's running a race, but not really racing it, running it more as a training run, whether it's doing it by yourself, um, whether it's jumping in an ultra once in a while, just to, to kind of push past, push to 50 K once in a while, not again, not really racing it, but doing it for the experience, doing it to run with some other people running on different terrains. Um, I think there's a lot of confidence that's built by doing that. So then, then when you get to a marathon and you're quote unquote, only running 26 miles, 26.2 or 44.2 kilometers, you go, you know what? I've been here before. I've done this. I can, I can, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be tired. Yeah. I'm going to be hurting a little bit, but when I get to 23 miles, when I get to 38 K, I know I've got some reserve. I know I can dig deep. I know I can push through these last, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes and still finish strong because I've done an extra hour after it at this point before. So, um, it really depends on each person. You know, like I said earlier, Jerry, I'm not a big fan of one size fits all advice. I'm not a big fan of everybody should do it this way. Um, part of it has to do a lot with how well you recover, how, how well you're feeling, how much experience you have. Um, you know, the people I work with, I have some that do definitely do 26 milers and lead up to a marathon. Um, and some that, you know, it's sometimes we are struggling to get to 18 or 19 miles just because that's how it works out sometimes. So, um, but when in doubt, I think, you know, the best general rule is if you can get somewhere between 20 and 22, as far as miles, which would be 32 to maybe 35 kilometers, I think that's a pretty good place to be to, to give you the confidence that you can do it. Um, make it not too much uncharted territory, especially for your first, first training, uh, first marathon. If I don't know if this is your first marathon or not, but you know, just some, some kind of numbers to kind of shoot for, but it's hardly set in stone. It's hardly set in stone. So it's going to depend on how you're feeling and how training is going exactly how far you should end up. Uh, going in your, in your longest training run. So hope all that makes sense, Jerry, but thank you for the question. Next question comes from Dan biggest differences in training for a half versus a full. Um, <laughs> you mean besides just the number of miles that you need to run, but, but seriously though, Dan, I mean that, that really is the biggest difference the, the biggest difference is that when you're training for a full, like you've got to carve out some time to do some long training runs, you know, you, and consistently week in and week out, you know, I thinking about training for a half, like if, if you, in, 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 as far as I see it, you know, if, if you're really training for a half, you're really planning to just hammer it, go all out, personal best, blow it out of the water. You know, you might do some long runs in the 14, 15, 16 mile range. Kind of like I just asked for, or answered for Jerry, you know, just to build that confidence, build that, that confidence that, you know, you can get to mile 10, mile 11, mile 12, and still dig deep because you've done it. You've done, gone to 15 miles. You've gone to 16 miles. Well, if you're marathon training the last like six weeks before a race, 15 or 16 miles. That's like, that's like the cutback weeks. That's like the light weeks. That's, that's, that's recovery week is you're doing 15 mile long runs, you know? Um, and, and obviously if, if you're training what I would say intelligently, meaning that you're keeping your easy runs easy, that 15 miler for me, that's typically about a three hour run. You know, I'm, I'm somewhere for my easy run, especially for those longer runs, especially now that we're getting closer to summer, like 1130 pace, 1140 pace, maybe 12 minute pace for some of those miles. So by the time you get going, stop for water a couple times, maybe stop to use the bathroom. That's a, that's a good solid three hours to get to 15 miles. Now, what are you going to do on the, the weeks that you're going to 17, 18, 20, maybe 22 miles, 23 miles. Some of those long runs, you might, you might need to have several weeks in a row where your long run is going to be three hours, three and a half, four hours, something like that. And I know that flies counter to some people's training philosophies, but, but 
you know, to me, that's the biggest difference. And, and, and it's not just the mileage. It's not just the amount of time that you have to set aside for training. It's also the amount of time then that goes into recovery, that goes into foam rolling, making sure you get enough sleep, making sure your diet is on point so that you're giving your body what it needs to not only fuel your runs, but also to recover well so that you're not breaking down so that you don't have, you know, some of those overuse injuries, some of those niggles that, that tend to, to kind of crop up, especially for people who are, have a, a stressful life. They're trying to cram in, maybe burning the candle a little bit at both ends because got to get these longer runs in means I got to get up earlier, but I still got all the family obligations on the weekends. Like that really can catch up to you. So it's, it's the mileage, but it's not just the mileage. It's the whole ball of wax, but the amount of commitment, time commitment that it takes to do the miles, to do the recovery, to take care of your body. It's, you know, kind of like, again, kind of joking earlier that 20 miles is the halfway point of the marathon. Um, but the amount of time that it takes to, to invest in your training, I would say, I mean, I've never really like done the math, but I would say that it's probably more than double than what you need for the, the, you know, for the full marathon versus the half marathon, even though your, your distance is quote unquote only twice as far, you know, maybe it's, it's exponentially, you know, it's, it's squared, uh, the amount of, of time it takes to t- just make sure you're taking care of not only the training, but all the little things as well. So it's, it's definitely a time investment, I think is the biggest difference between a half and a full. Um, because it's, it's, it's a lot that, that, that mileage, um, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to get all the mileage in, but boy, it makes everything a lot easier. It makes the, the race day a lot smoother, a lot more predictable, a lot less painful the couple of days afterwards. So, um, that, that amount of, of prep training recovery is, is substantial when it comes to training for that first marathon. Um, but then once you do it, if you can kind of maintain, maybe not full marathon readiness, but, but maintain slightly above half marathon readiness, then it's not so much, not so difficult to, to ramp up to a marathon. So, you know, it's all just comes down to that base and just, just regular training is, uh, takes up some time when you're training for a marathon. Um, but great question, Dan, and hopefully that helps for you. Uh, next question comes from my man, Ben says, uh, does elevation training really do anything or is it dependent on your race being at elevation or sea level to get any benefit from it? So I'm assuming I'm, I'm drawing some, uh, assumptions here, Ben, but, uh, I think that what you're saying is doing some of the elevation training where like, you know, you're either wearing a, a oxygen regulator or you're in a room where they, they can kind of decrease the pressure and give yourself basically giving you less oxygen than what you would get if you were just doing the same training, uh, without whatever apparatus is going on to simulate being up at altitude. And, um, you know, from a, I struggle with this one. Like I have one of my, one of my athletes has kind of done this a couple times and she's, she's benefited from it. She's benefited from it. Now, was it physiological benefits? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and the reason I say, I don't know is that the way that altitude training, like, you know, if you go to, to the Rocky mountains, if you go to Flagstaff, if you go to Boulder, you go to some of these places that are at elevation and live and train for several weeks to, you know, maybe a couple of months and then try to come back and race it at sea level. It definitely helps. And the reason that it helps is that when you're consistently in a lower, you know, atmospheric pressure, uh, lower oxygen density area, which is what happens when you're at elevation, um, your body creates more red blood cells so that you have more, uh, oxygen transporting parts of your blood, which is, which is the red blood cells, um, to, to f- make sure that there's enough oxygen trying to get to the different parts of your body. If you're just training in a, in a elevation simulator a couple times a week, so a couple hours a week, but the rest of your life, you're living at sea level or you're living at whatever, you know, elevation that you live at from a physiological perspective, the way I understand it, and I'm not claiming to be a, an expert on this. I'm not claiming to be a physiologist on this subject, but I've, I've 
read some studies and, and done, done a, a, enough research to be dangerous, not enough to know exactly what I'm talking about, but it seems like that's not enough to really make those physiological adaptations in your body. You're not going to increase your bl- red blood cell count. You're not going to have a higher hemoglobin level um, from doing a couple hours of training a week in a, in a, in a simulator, but then living the rest of your life in a normal pressure, normal sea level type of environment where I do think it can make an impact is maybe twofold. One, just like, even though the the changes haven't really happened at your body, you know, physiologically in your body, it's, it's hard to say that your body isn't going to have a little bit of, of like, all right, we can do this. And, And maybe it's, maybe it's two in the same, really. Maybe it's, it's just kind of that, that, um, placebo effect, that mental effect of like, yes, I know there's going to be less oxygen at, you know, if I'm racing somewhere or, or because I've stressed myself more during training, I have a bit more confidence that on race day, when I'm tired, when I'm fatigued, when I don't want to go any farther, like I've pushed through, I've done these hard workouts in a, in a, you know, at a simulation of, of 6,000 feet, 8,000 feet above sea level where there's much less oxygen. So I know I can dig deep and finish this race strong. Um, my gut tells me that that's the biggest benefit of elevation training. And I'm not one to say that that's just farcical or not real. That absolutely is a benefit. Having that confidence, having that, that, um, that extra little boost that says that I know I can do this, that makes a difference. So, um, I think, and again, not being a full expert, but also not trying to, to spin it and sell you something. I think that is the benefit of elevation training. And then whether your race is at elevation or your race is at sea level or your race is anywhere in between, it's just going to give you that extra little bit of confidence that I can do this. I can do this. I trained hard. I did everything I could to be ready for this race. And now I can go out there and hammer it and be confident in my ability to do it. So I think that the mental benefits call it a placebo. If you want, I think that is where an elevation chamber or or some type of elevation simulator. I think that's where things are going to be the most beneficial to you. Um, much less so if at all. So from a physiological uh, perspective, so hope that makes sense. Uh, next question comes from Ava said, would you rather only run on treadmills for the rest of your life with the possible exception of you could maybe race on the road or only race five Ks for the rest of your life? And why now at first glance, that's a cruel and unusual question, Ava, that is, uh, not appreciated. But after thinking about it for a few minutes, um, I think that and I don't think I'm confident in that this is a no brainer for me. Um, I would absolutely choose to only race five Ks for the rest of my life. If it meant I didn't have to ever run on the treadmill. Um, the treadmill is terrible. I, I mean, y'all know that y'all know where I stand on that. Even with doing the treadmill marathon last week, which wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but I, I don't want to be on the treadmill. And I'm at a point in my life where I still like to race. I still look forward to racing, but I'm at a point in my running life where I don't need to race. I need to run. I don't need to race. So, you know, I don't, I don't much care for racing a 5k. Um, but if that's all I could do, but I could keep running outside, I could keep running on the trails, keep running on the roads, keep running with, with friends, things like that. Um, I could handle that. And I would probably race once every couple of years, jump in a 5k every couple, three years, just to scratch that itch. Um, and then be reminded about how much I, I really don't like racing the 5k and then just get back to just running, just running for the next year, two years, three years, and start getting that itch of, of wanting to compete again. All right, let's jump in a 5k. Let's see what happens. But man, if I was, if I could only just run on the treadmill and just race out, you know, race in the real world, I don't, I, I would be miserable uh, because I just wouldn't run that much. It would, it would not be fun anymore. Um, so I, I, I like the question. I mean, 
I don't like the question, but I like the question, Ava. Uh, thank you for that one. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe it's an easier question for me to answer than you might've thought, but I definitely, I'll just race the 5k. I just won't race it very much. Uh, but I'll still run every bit as much as I'm running now. Um, and be very much okay with that. Very much okay with that. Um, next question comes from Lindsay says, what is the point of speed work? If heart rate training helps you get faster. So great. I, you know, I think you could maybe read this question and, and I don't read it this way, but I think you maybe read this question as kind of being like, like wh- why? Like almost like, you know, ex- riddle me this type of thing. But this really is a great, a great question, Lindsay. And, and hopefully my answer will uh, make some sense to you. So, um, yes, without, without question in, in my mind with looking at the science, things like that, the best way to get faster in an endurance event, which again, an endurance event is anything really longer than like 400 meters. So anything a half a mile and longer is technically an endurance event. Cause you can't just go pedal to the metal for three, four, five minutes or two or three or four hours. It just doesn't work. Like that's not how our bodies work. You're pedal to the metal for like 10 seconds. And that's about it. Maybe 15. If you're really elite, um, maybe, you know, you can make an argument that 400 meters is maybe 50, 50, but anything longer than that, it's all about your endurance. That is what makes you, um, hold on to your speed. So it's not about what your top speed is in those longer endurance events, but it's about how long can you hold on to a high percentage of your max speed. That is how fast you go. So, you know, again, using me for an example, you know, I just ran, well, not just, but a couple months ago, I ran the big beach marathon up in, in, uh, Gulf shores, Alabama, set a new PR got, you know, three fifty eight something or another was, was the time. So broke four hours for the first time, which was like right at about nine minutes flat pace for that race. I could go out and run a mile. I don't know what, I, I don't know what I could do it. Actually, I, I maybe need to hesitate on the statement a little bit, but you know, my, my PR in the mile is five fifty four. I don't know that I could be quite that fast anymore. So maybe the heart rate training has slowed down my top speed just a little bit, but I'm pretty confident that I could go out and hammer a 620, 630 for one mile. I'd be gassed at the end, but I could, I could do it. I could do it. Could I run 620 for five miles for 13 miles for 26 miles? Hell no. Hell no. All right. I, I have proven to myself that I can do it at nine minute pace. So, you know, almost three minutes slower than what I can do for my, my one, my one mile, uh, all out or you know, as close to all out as possible. So where the easy running, where the heart rate training helps you get faster is not that it improves your top speed, but it improves your endurance, your ability to hold that a percentage of that top speed. So again, you know, I, the more I, I do this heart rate training, the more I'm convinced that my, my average pace for these longer runs is going to keep going down. It's going to be not no longer nine minute pace, but it's going to be eight fifty, and it's going to be eight forty, and eight thirty, and I'm going to be able to keep getting faster. Not because I'm getting faster, but because I'm able to hold on to my pace longer. My body's going to be, have more endurance. That said, there's still value in speed work. There's still lots of value in speed work, um, and there are lots of great comments in the thread. If if you haven't checked out the the Q and A thread for this month, there's lots of great uh, comments there. And I'm actually going to kind of use a lot of their. Um, advice their their answers to uh you know trevor and and julie and jen uh chimed in with some really great advice um so did eric uh i mean there there were lots of really good bits in here about how doing speed work helps improve your um your your lactic threshold you know your ability to push on when things are hard helps to give you confidence towards the end of a race when you do feel like i can't I, i don't know if i can keep going anymore i don't know if i can hold on to this for the last two miles Doing those those hard repeats, doing those tempo runs, gives you gives you a little bit of extra confidence, a little bit of yes, I can, yes, I can. I've done this before, maybe not at mile twenty four, but I did it at, at you know at, at the fourth mile of a tempo run 
when I was going two minutes per mile faster than I'm going right now. So I can, I can hold on to this pace. I can, I can do this. Um, it also helps to stress your, your body systems to make you stronger. So it helps, you know, speed work does more for building bone strength, muscle strength, tendon strength than running easy does. And those things are important. Now, strength training, you can make an argument does more than that or more for you on those, on that front than, than speed work does. But if you're not going to do enough strength training, or if you're not going to do as much strength training, mixing in a little speed work once in a while does those things. Speed work is also great for your form. You know, a lot of people complain when I, when I try to get them to slow down that their form goes all to hell because they're not running at a, at a no, quote unquote, their normal, normal pace. Well, doing that speed work helps to ingrain that, that good form and, and does make it a little bit easier than when you, when you back off the pace now to maintain some level of good form. So, you know, just, just the, the simplest terms. Speed work is going to help improve your form. It's going to help improve your, your muscle strength, bone density, things like that, which makes you more resilient to injury. It's going to help improve your lactic threshold. It's going to help improve your mental strength, mental capabilities. Those four things, pretty important, pretty important. So, you know, you don't need to do speed work every day. Certainly you shouldn't do speed work every day. You don't need to do speed work necessarily every week, maybe every, every two weeks, maybe once a month, maybe twice a month, once every six weeks, something like that, you know, mix them in because there's plenty of benefits to it. I think big picture, and, and I mean, I've made no secret about this. I think that, that slow and easy is the best bet to reduce risk of injury, to improve efficiency, to improve endurance, all those things. But going hard once in a while, yeah, do it. It could be a race. It could be a speed workout. It could be whatever, but blow it out once in a while because there are definitely benefits to it. Definitely benefits to it. But that's a, a great question, Lindsay, and something that definitely I know people wonder about, and I maybe don't do a good enough job of explaining that all the time. So thank you for throwing that out there, and I hope that that made a bit of sense for you. Uh, next question comes from Dan. He says, I have been basically a half marathon runner and am planning on running a full in about eight weeks. My half marathon pace is about nine minute per mile. What is, uh, what is the best means for determining or planning for my full marathon pace so far? I have not completed any training runs over 14 miles, so I do not have much to go on for the early part of the planning. So, um, Dan, when it comes to kind of predictors, predictions or predictors for, for pace calculators and things like that, um, I'm not the biggest fan of saying that I can run, you know, I can run 14 miles at a nine minute pace. So what should my pace be for 26.2 miles? I, that, those are just, there's a lot of subjectivity there. There's a lot of other variables in terms of what the rest of your training is like. How many other runs are you doing per week? What's your mileage? What's your diet? What's your rest? All of these things. Um, that said, there's, you know, kind of a, again, I keep going back to, I hate to do rules of thumb, but here's kind of a rule of thumb, you know, um, one of the rules of thumb that I've heard several times when it comes to predicting finishing times for a marathon by using your half marathon time is to double it and add somewhere between like 10 and 20 minutes. So if you're doing nine minute pace for a half marathon, um, you're looking at just under two hours, right? So then, you know, for a full marathon, then that would be double it. So just right about four hours, add 10 or 10 or 20 minutes. So maybe four fifteen, which I think would be about a nine twenty pace, something like that off the top of my head, nine twenty nine thirty. 30. Um, that's probably a good target for race pace. I wouldn't train at that pace. You know, I would train at 1030, 1045, something like that. Um, nice and slow, nice and easy, but that would give you kind of a, a ballpark that said first marathons, man, that's, it's, as I've said in a couple other questions previously, that's, it's, it's uncharted territory. It's, it's, you, you don't necessarily know how your body's going to respond. It's, it's the first marathon's tricky. The first marathon is real tricky, or at least it can be real tricky. So, um, I wouldn't worry quite as much about training at a, at the perfect marathon pace or targeting a, a certain marathon pace for your goal. Um, 
because it's just, it's, it's the first time. And it's, it's like I said, it's kind of tricky. It's hard to put into words. I think that the people have run and race marathons can probably agree with me though, that that first one, it's a big time learning environment, big time learning curve. And after you've done a couple of them, then you start to really kind of dial in a little bit, get your strategy a little bit more locked in, get your nutrition plan a little bit more locked in. Because even though you're working on those things in your training, you're not working at them at the same intensity level as what you will be expecting to be able to hold on race day. So it's, it's a different ball of wax than what you trained for. So it's, it's tough, but you know, if, if nine minute pace is your half marathon pace, you know, probably nine 30 to nine 45 to maybe even 10 minute pace is somewhere in that ballpark, I think is probably where you can plan on being for your first marathon. And, and I hope that doesn't discourage you. Um, just trying to be realistic, but again, there's a lot of variables in there that I don't know about. I don't know about what your training is like, how long you've been running. If you, even though you've quote unquote, only ever raced a half marathon distance, um, you know, have you been doing that for 20 years? If you're doing that for two years, you know, there's, there's a lot of variables in there. The more experienced, the better your foundation is, the, the better your base of fitness is, the more likely you might be able to be 930, 925, 920 pace for the marathon, even though you've never done it before. So it's, it's just a lot of variables in play there. Um, but enjoy that first marathon, Dan, enjoy that first experience, live it up, have a blast, learn a lot. And then, you know, take what you learn from this race to use that, to help you be more prepared, more ready. The next time you line up for 26.2. Oh goodness. I think we're only about halfway through and we're already closing in on like 45 minutes. Goodness gracious. This is going to be a long one. Uh, next question comes from Brooks says, would you ever consider doing the double marathon at Blue Ridge? So not only is the Blue Ridge marathon tout itself as the toughest road marathon, but there's some crazy people that do the double. So they start off, uh, and run, run the, the marathon course at like two o'clock in the morning or something's ungodly like that. Uh, one o'clock, maybe something, uh, and then they finish, you know, they finish the race. And then when the, the regular race starts, they go out and run it again to do the double. Um, would I consider it? Sure. Whatever, like really consider actually doing it. Yeah. Not right now. Maybe at some point, maybe down the road, uh, you know, I, I've, I've learned never say never. Um, but if I'm going to do, you know, uh, you know, obviously you do the math on that, that turns into something like 52 miles. So, you know, I, I would probably like to do a 50 miler before that. Um, something that's a little bit more forgiving than the, the ups and downs and, and 52 miles of pavement, like uh, a double blue Ridge would be, but I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility. I don't know that I would ever do it, but I would consider it. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll play the game, Brooke and say, I'll consider it. How about that? I, I will consider it. Just don't hold your breath. <laughs> Next question comes from Barb says about a month out from a half marathon. What kind of the quote little things would you add slash incorporate into your training to beef up your chances of shaving a few minutes off your finish time? So, uh, Barb, great question. Although I'm going to, I'm going to push back just a little bit and say that, um, in a, in the perfect world, you'd been doing the little things more than just a month out from the half marathon. You know, I, I feel like the little things and it, you know, guys, if, if you haven't checked out the little things course yet, it is now available and it is free. It, there's no, no upsell to it. Nothing fancy. There's some, there's some affiliate links and things like that in it where, you know, you can, you can give back a little bit without costing yourself anything, of course. Um, but it's over at disruns.com slash little things, check it out. And it talks about diet, nutrition, it talks about sleep, it talks about kind of recovery. So like foam rolling, stretching, massage, things like that. And it talks about, um, What's the fourth one? It talks about cross training. Um, and there's also plans to add a bit more to it at some point, but I needed to get something out there and kind of work on some other projects first. And I may come back to it and address some of the mental side of things. Um, a couple other things that are, are kind of on the back burner for the, the little things course right now, but check it out. Disruns.com slash little, slash little things. So Barb, for your question, what, what should you incorporate? I mean, all of it. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, you're a month out. That's definitely enough time to, to, you know, if, if you, 
can look at your diet and say, yeah, I could probably clean things up a little bit, clean them up a little bit. You know, if you're looking at your sleep going, yeah, I don't really get enough sleep, get some more sleep, you know, um, get some better quality of sleep by getting some blue blockers or, you know, shutting off the devices or, or whatever. Some of the tips and tactics that I talk about in the course there, um, you know, do some more foam rolling, some stretching, some yoga, some soft tissue work to help with the recovery, especially, you know, if you're a month out from your half marathon, that means your training is probably getting pretty close to peak volume right now. So get taking care of that stuff, you know, take care of your body so that your body can take care of you on these, these tougher training runs, these longer training runs. Um, and then that's going to help you with your recovery, of course, leading up to the race itself. Um, you know, if you're not doing any cross training, get some of that stuff going. Um, so, you know, all of those things a, a month or a, about a month or so out. Yeah. If, if there's any area in there where you're missing the boat a little bit, get on it, get on it. If you're still three months out, four months out, two weeks out, whatever. I mean, you know, what's the saying that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Same thing with the little things. You know, the, the, the best time to start doing the little things was, was however long ago, whenever you started running, the next best time is right now, right now. So head over to disruns.com slash little things, Barbara, or anybody else, anybody else get yourself into the course. Obviously let me know what you think. I, I put, put some time and effort into this one. So I hope it, it looks all right. There's still a few uh, touch-ups that need to be done. I haven't quite gotten to those yet, but, um, the information is there. Things are, things are there. Um, hopefully it makes sense. Uh, like I said, would love your thoughts, but yeah, anything that you can gain from that, from going through a free course and, and going, Oh yeah, I could do this. It's going to help you. It's going to help your training. It's going to help your, your racing, probably going to help just life in general. I, I hope, you know, being healthier, fitter, more rested. Those things are, are good for all of us on a, on every aspect of our life. So, um, yeah, Barb, you know, get, get after it. If, if you can, um, get after it now, uh, and hopefully in a, in a month, you'll feel that much better, that much stronger, that much more confident that you can really go out there and hammer your half marathon. So good luck. Enjoy the last few weeks of your, of your, uh, training and enjoy that taper, which some people either love it or uh, a lot of people, not so much. So hope you have a good taper. And uh, thank you for the question. Next question from Melody says, uh, this is a very important question and I would appreciate your thoughts. Is a hot dog, a sandwich? No, 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 no. Next from Elisa. I'd like to know why it seems that when I run slow, my calves are on fire, but when I pick up the pace, they stop hurting. Then if I slow down again, they start to hurt again. Is this normal? Not sure if it matters, but easy pace for me is about 13 minutes per mile and faster is about 1030. So, um, I think, you know, kind of going back to, um, one of the questions earlier to Lindsay's question about, you know, speed work and things like that. Um, and, and how the form changes from going fast versus going easy, um, or going hard versus going easy. Um, I, I would imagine that probably the reason that your calves hurt a bit more is just is form related. I would, I would imagine Elisa that probably if you maybe pick up your cadence just a little bit and, and y'all know, I'm not the biggest fan of your cadence has to be 180 or something like that. But my guess is that you really slowing down your cadence, Elisa. And if you, if you shorten your stride a little bit, which is going to help speed up your, your cadence a bit more. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm just going on, on basically it's just your question and kind of, um, hypothesizing a little bit that that's going to make a difference in how you're feeling, um, and, and sh- shake some of that stress off of your, your cast. Because what I'm imagining is if your if your cadence really slows down, which it, which it's going to, it's more than likely going to slow down for all of us anyway. But if it really slows down, you're really, you know, you're kind of not having nearly as much momentum. You're, you're really kind of forcing each stride, forcing, forcing each step, which is, you know, your calf does a lot of that work. Um, so it's working hard versus, you know, when you, when you're running faster, even though it still has to provide that propulsion, 
you've got more momentum going. You've got, you know, the turnover is going and, and one stride leads to the next. Um, so I think you know, my, my first recommendation would be to just pick up the pick up your cadence a little bit. Don't pick up your pace, take a little bit shorter steps, shorter strides, um, and just kind of try to turn your feet over a little bit quicker and see if you don't pick up a little bit of momentum from that. And even though your, your, you know, heart rate is going to probably stay about the same, your pace is going to stay about the same. Hopefully that'll take some of the stress off of your calves a little bit, help the legs to feel a little bit better, help you to, to not feel that burning or tired or fired firing sensation and just be able to go out and enjoy an easy run. Cause that's, that's the name of the game. We want to be able to enjoy those runs. So I hope that uh, that makes sense. And I hope that, that helps you Elisa, And certainly let us know uh, how that goes. And if, if not, that doesn't work out then we can uh, maybe try to, a different suggestion but i think that's that's the lowest hanging fruit that's the first thing to address is just to try to pick up that cadence a little bit try to keep your form as close to your your higher paced or higher effort form but it is going to be a little bit different don't try to force anything just start there start with start with the cadence start with with turn over your feet a little bit faster and see what happens there next question two questions uh in a row coming from the desert from uh, miss julie over in uh, over in egypt says uh let's revisit which easter candies make good long run f- fuels which for post run recovery so um i think that uh <laughs> i think that uh the best long run fuel has to be the hard candies or the jelly beans right has to be something that can stick in your pocket stick in your pouch um and isn't going to melt and become just a, a nasty mess when you try to get into it with one hand, uh, you know, 15 miles down the road, right? So it's got to be your jelly bellies, your jelly beans, um, you know, maybe some, some like Easter sweet tarts, something like that. Um, something Easter themed, but hard candy, pretty much all sugar, or like I said, jelly beans, if you want to chew on a little something, um, save the chocolates for afterwards. The, the, the junk eggs that Aaron's a fan of don't ever use those. Just get rid of those. They don't need them. We don't need them. They're terrible. Same with peeps. We don't need them. They're terrible. Um, get your, get your chocolates, your chocolate, you know, your, your Reese's chocolates, your hard chocolates, um, save those for afterwards. Cause chocolate delicious, obviously. Um, but anything cream filled, blech, nasty pass peeps pass, um, hard stuff. Take that with you where, where melting could be a bit more of an issue. Next question. Also, like I said, from Julie, my social run group currently has several runners ages two and a half to eight years old. So far they are having fun and actually going a full 5k with the adults. What advice do you have to keep it inclusive and fun, healthy and safe for the little ones, as well as obviously everybody else. Um, other than occasionally having to, uh, you know, kiss a little boo-boo if somebody trips and, and scuffs and something like that. Um, Julie, I think, I think that, you know, if, if they're going 5k and they're having fun, that, that the big thing, I mean, keep doing what you're doing because clearly it's, it's, um, it's working. I think that that's fantastic. I think it's awesome that the kids are out there. They're having fun. They're enjoying it. Um, you know, it's, I mean, obviously, you know, for the benefit of everybody else, we've been working together for a while. Um, and I, I know I've been, you've been keeping me up to date with how this, this formation of this group has been, uh, developing over the last couple of years. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm so happy for you that you've got this group going and to hear that the kids are part of it and the kids are enjoying it, uh, is even, is even more awesome. So, you know, kudos to, to you for that. Um, you know, as far as just keeping it fun, obviously, you know, with a, with an age range between two and a half and, and eight, um, or whatever, you know, three and you know, whatever it, it, the different ages, kids, um, there's different things, you know, setting up some different types of races, some shorter races, you know, kids like to race. they like to push themselves. They like to go fast, um, making it fun though, maybe having some treats. So I know that, that the social run for you ha- tends to be a donut run. So you, you finish at the, at the shop and have a donut afterwards. Um, but you know, having popsicles or having, you know, having some type of special treat once in a while, especially for the kids. Um, 
also making sure you're, you're rewarding and acknowledging things beyond just who's the fastest, but like, Hey, you know, Susie, you've been here eight weeks in a row. That's all, you know, let's recognize, let's recognize Susie for her consistency and showing up every week or, you know, most improved or, uh, you know, funniest stories or whatever, just finding a way to recognize each of the kids for something that, that they uniquely bring to the table that doesn't have anything to do with speed. Who's the quote unquote best runner of the kids. Uh, but just making them feel like, like they're valuable, like they're important, like they, that, that, uh, you really, you and all of the adults really appreciate them in the, in the group. Um, which I'm assuming if they're, if they're already having fun, they look forward to coming that you're probably already doing a great job of that. So, you know, just, just keep it, keep it fun, keep it loose. Um, you know, obviously with safety feet, you know, safety issues, don't let, don't let the kids just lag behind and assume that they're going to keep up. Like, you know, some, somebody from an adult is always going to be bringing up the rear and making sure that the kids are, are fine. And if, and if one of the kids toward the back wants to walk, then the adults are walking with the kids. Of course. I mean, I, I hope that that goes without saying, um, making sure that safety is always a priority. Um, but, uh, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome that you're fostering, uh, you know, these, these kids, to, to run, to be active, to, to make it fun. That's, that's the name of the game. And so, you know, whatever, whatever you're already doing, keep at it, keep at it. Um, but, uh, I love it and I I love hearing the updates. So, uh, thank you for always sharing those with me, Julie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's, I think it's awesome. And I think that's, you know, you kind of maybe again, brought it out to everybody, but like, if you're, if you've got kids, you know, I've got a daughter who likes to run. Um, and obviously, you know, I mean, she's four, you know, we're not, we're not quite to the 5k distance yet, but you know, she does quarter miles at school, things like that. And she enjoys it. She has fun with it. You know, she runs with the, with our dog. When, when, when I take the dog out for, you know, if, if you haven't heard, uh, my older dog who I think we had a question about him last month. Um, we put him down, uh, about a week ago, but our other dog is my running partner dog. And she, she, she can run 14, 15, 16, 18 miles with me. Um, but when I take her out for a walk, you know, Addison's like, Hey, can I hold Bailey's leash and run with her back to the house. And they, so that's one way that she has fun, you know, and, and I love it. I love it. I, I, I'm not trying to push her. I'm not trying to force her. You know, if she doesn't want to go for the walk, if she doesn't want to take the dog for the run. She doesn't no big deal. Um, and so I think, you know, with your own kids or friends or whatever, um, just making sure that they're having fun, teaching them to be active. And we all know that being active is a good thing. Um, so Julia, it sounds like you've got some great seeds that have already been planted. Um, now it's just a matter of nurturing it and, and doing your best to keep it fun, be creative, do a costumed themed run, something like that for, for various holidays. I don't know if there's other kind of, you know, I don't know if there's, if Halloween is a big deal over in, in Egypt or whatever kind of holidays that, that might be, that would make, that would be culturally appropriate. You're not going to be, um, you know, causing offense or, or anything like that, but you know, doing something where you're dressing up uh, your favorite superhero or favorite prince or whatever, whatever. Um, if there's something like that, that you can just do to have fun and, you know, kind of get the adults in on it too. I think that's, that's great. That's great. I love it. I love it. Um, next question comes to my Cadbury egg loving or comes from my Cadbury egg loving friend and tormentor. Mr. Aaron says, as it warms up, I tend to carry a water bottle in my hand. I always use just, you know, one side. So I'm assuming carrying it in my dominant hand, um, says, should I switch it up or is it too minor to really matter? You know, Aaron, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, I'm assuming making some assumptions here, but I'm assuming your, your water bottle is what probably somewhere between eight and 16 ounces. So it's not some huge thing. It's not like you're carrying a gallon jug, right. In, in one hand, the whole way. Um, you know, and obviously as you're sipping on it, it gets lighter and lighter and lighter. I don't think it really matters that much. I think that, that the right answer, you know, the quote unquote book answer, if I was to give you that is, yeah, you should try to switch it up, switch it from one hand to the other. Whether that means that you're just switching back and forth during the run, whether that means that one run, you keep it on your right hand, one run, you keep it on your left hand to try to balance things out. 
that's probably the best bet. But does it really matter? Nah, not really. Um, if if there were, you know, if if you started to have problems on one side, the last, I mean, I would look at probably a dozen things before I would get to, huh? I wonder if that. 12 ounces of, of water bottle that you're carrying on your right side is really causing that problem. Like it's probably, there's probably something else that's more of a problem than, than that. So, um, like I said, the book answer, the right answer. Yeah. You should probably try to switch it back and back and forth. <sighs> I don't, it, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really splitting hairs. It's really getting granular to really worry about that. So do what you got to do to stay hydrated. If that means always carrying it in one hand and never the other, it's probably not that big of a deal when all is said and done. So, um, ho- hope you stay healthy though. Obviously I don't, I hope, I hope I don't give you that advice and then you come up with some issue that maybe was caused by that carrying the water bottle on the one side. So I guess my answer is yes, switch it. But you know, you know, you heard me, you heard what I said. Um, probably not that big deal. Uh, another question from Bruce says, I have a second question. I ran the Detroit marathon in October in 4:44, and I'm running Cleveland in May. I hope to see some improvement. Uh, I have a long-term goal of BQing in 2020 or 2021. So a couple years out for that. Um, and he says, instead of running a fall marathon, I'm thinking about running a half or two to work on my speed. Would that be a good idea? Um, sure, sure. Here's, here's, here's the long and the short of it, Bruce. And, and I don't know exactly how old you are, but judging from your uh, profile picture, I'm guessing that uh, you've got probably at least an hour, if not maybe even a bit more that you need to, to uh, shave off of your time from Detroit in the fall to get to a BQ level. Um, so, and if I'm, if I'm mistaken on that, then you look, <laughs> then you look a lot younger than, than you are, Bruce, which I guess I, th- I think there's a compliment in there. Right. Um, but you know, well, all that being said, if, if the goal is to BQ in another year, two years, something like that, or at least give at least that is when you're really going to give it a go there's kind of two waves of thought or two, two trains of thought as far as what you would do this fall. Like you said, should you run a marathon or should you run, um, a couple of halves or, or it doesn't matter if you run a couple of halves and just kind of work on getting faster either way. I don't, and I, please don't take this the wrong way. Either way, you're not going to be Q this year, right? Like you're not going to go from whatever you run in Cleveland to all of a sudden being in the three thirty-five range more than likely this fall. Okay. So if, if you're really not planning on BQing until next year or the year following, if you want to run a couple of halves and just not worry about the marathon distance and just work on hammering it a little bit for the quote unquote shorter distance of the half marathon, go for it. Go for it. If you want to take another 10 minutes off of your marathon and just kind of chip away to make it, make that jump a little bit more palatable, a little bit less eye popping of like, wow, you're trying to trim 45 minutes or, oh, you're trying to trim 20 minutes. You know, you could do that too. I don't think that there's one is, is more right than the other. Um, I don't think that there's a, a I think that there's pros and cons of, of each. Um, so if you're kind of leaning towards doing a couple of halves this fall, working on getting your, your half speed up and, and really finishing 13.1 miles really strong. I think that there's, I think that you can make just as much of an argument to do that, to lead you to a 2020 or 2021 BQ attempt as you could from saying, Hey, why don't you just work on, you know, getting down to four hours, four hours flat for your, for your fall marathon. Like I, I I don't see one being better than the other. So, um, if you want to do a marathon this fall, do a marathon this fall. If you want to do some halves this fall, do a couple of them, knock yourself out, get after it, have fun. Um, and, and build up some of that speed. But again, going back to what we said earlier, remember that endurance is the really the, the name of the game. So make sure you're still building that endurance, even with that speed. Um, 
and, and setting yourself up with some, maybe some more confidence in your ability to turn over fast enough to get to that BQ. But yeah, I mean, short answer that, that was, I guess the long version, the short version. Yeah. Go ahead and run some halves. That's, that's totally, totally fine. Totally fine. Um, I don't know. Good idea. Bad. Idea. I think, I think they're both good ideas. I think, I think as long as you're running and training consistently, you're going to keep moving towards the, towards that BQ, which is the goal, right? So halves or fulls either way, Bruce, knock yourself out. Uh, next question. Got what? A couple more, three more, three more questions. Here we go. Well, maybe it's not going to be quite as long as I thought. Well, we're still going to be over an hour or already over an hour. So, uh, three questions left. Um, one from the next one is from Elisa. Uh, says, I hope it isn't too late for one more cue. No girl. We always got, well, I don't, I can't say always. Cause once I stop recording this, uh, we don't have any more time for more, more questions, but, uh, you got it in before I started recording. So you're good. Uh, she says, I run before work in the morning. So there's usually a time crunch. So what I do is I finish my run, do my chores outside as a cool down, then go inside and shower. And then if I have time to do some stretching before leaving for work, I do some stretching. My question is if I'm not, uh, my question if I'm not getting uh, the same benefits of stretching, if I don't do it right after my run, does it matter if I go about 20 or 30 minutes before I get to my stretching or should I give myself or give the stretching more priority to get the most benefits? So, um, Alisa, I, you know, again, the book answer versus the real world answer, the book answer, the best time to stretch is as close to right after you finish running as possible because your muscles are warm. The blood is flowing. Um, there be more receptive to stretching. That said, just because you stop running, you do some chores, maybe feed some animals or do some, do some whatever stuff outside, get in, take a shower, get cleaned up, hopefully get a couple minutes to stretch before getting dressed and out the door for work. Um, it's not like you've just been sitting around and all of a sudden your muscles are super cold. You know, it's not, it's not like you've been, uh, sleeping for eight hours or sitting at the desk for eight hours. And now you're going to stretch. Like your muscles are still warm. They're, they're still pliable. Um, is it going to be as beneficial? I, I don't know. I maybe, not maybe so is it enough to worry about no no and when it comes to stretching ultimately um the the biggest thing is just being consistent with your stretching so again the best time to do it yes it's right after you run right after your activity when the muscles are warmest but you know you can you can still you you will still get benefits from stretching any time of day you know whether it's it's after the shower before you before you're out the door for work whether it's after work getting a little bit of stretching in whether it's you know on the on the days that you don't run but still, you know, sitting on the floor while you're watching TV or, or scrolling through Facebook, listening to a podcast, whatever you're sitting on the floor and doing a little bit of stretching and some foam roll and things like that. Um, stretching is definitely a, a, a cumulative impact type of scenario. So it's not, it's not the, the exact, it's, it's not nearly as much about exactly am I stretching at the right time as it is to, am I consistently stretching most of the time? And that's, that's what really matters. So hopefully that answer makes sense. Um, but I think, I think what you're doing, it's, it's better than what I'm doing. It's, it sounds like you're stretching a whole lot more consistently than I am. So, um, it would be pretty hypocritical for me to, uh, to, to try to shun you and say that what you're doing isn't good enough. I think it's, I think that if most of the days you're able to get your run in, get your chores done, get showered and ready to go and still get a few minutes of stretching in, I I think you're better than a lot of us. I think, I think you're doing more than a lot of us are might not be perfect, but, uh, it's a whole lot better. Like I said, than what I'm doing. So, um, keep doing that you know, if you can give yourself a few more minutes, great. But if you, if, if not, as long as more often than not, you're getting your stretching in, you're, you're good. At least I promise. Uh, two more questions. One from Lee says, uh, if my training plan calls for a run, including goal marathon pace miles, is it okay if I'm able to do some or all of those miles faster, you know, maybe 10 or 20 seconds, uh, faster than what is called for. So a little bit faster than a uh, goal marathon 
goal marathon pace. Um, she says, is there a scientific or physical reason that I should really try to hit it closer to the planned, planned pace? Assuming that the next day isn't anything crazy, it's a short recovery run either way, you know, is it going to hurt me to go a little bit faster, uh, on those runs? Um, on the surface, no, on the surface, it's not gonna, not gonna hurt you. Uh, you'll be just fine to, to go a little bit faster. My one hesitation though, Lee is, is the reason that you're going a little bit faster than the, than those marathon pace segments of your, of your run is the reason because you really struggle to lock into that marathon pace. Um, or is it just a matter of, Hey, I feel really good today. So I'm gonna go a little bit faster. And, and the reason I bring that up is that I, I know people, uh, I've worked with people that we've really, that have really struggled to get locked in on marathon pace. And so when we do those marathon, like on race day, you know, they, they go out too fast. They can't dial it back or they're constantly ping ponging because they're trying to slow themselves down. So now they're slowing down to 10 or 20 minutes or 10 or 20 seconds per mile too slow. Oh, now I got to make that back up. And now we're too fast and now we're too slow and now we're too fast. And, and we can never get kind of locked into being in that plus or minus a few second window and just cruising. So in those situations, we've practiced, we've worked for several runs to try to lock in at marathon pace and just stay there. We're not worried about trying to get faster. We're trying to get comfortable at that pace. So that on race day, you're not fighting to stay on the, the appropriate pace. So if, if you don't have any, so let's just, you know, to make the numbers easy, let's say you're, you're aiming for a four hour race, which means you're running about a 905 pace and you can run 905. Like, you have no problem sitting there, but you know what? Today you're out there doing your, your running like, man, things are feeling pretty good. And, and you look down and you're at eight, eight fifty pace or eight fifty five pace or eight forty five pace anywhere in there. And it's like, man, this doesn't feel hard at all. And you just want to cruise there. Great. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as, you know, you have no problems when, when the, when it's time on race day, settling in at, at nine, nine, nine minute to nine Oh five pace and just hanging out there. If you struggle with that though, then I would say your better bet is to try to get comfortable at marathon pace in your training runs so that on race day, you're not bouncing around from, Oh, I'm at eight forty. Oh shoot. Now I got, now I'm at nine thirty. Oh, now I'm at eight, eight fifty. You know, like that gets you. And that causes more mental anxiety as well. Mental fatigue which is something you certainly want to avoid on race day. So, um, I hope that that makes sense. I hope that that's not clear as mud. Um, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with it. As long as you're still comfortable when, when it's, when it's time to settle in at, at the right pace at the, at the goal pace. Um, and if not, then definitely use your marathon training paced runs to get comfortable at that pace and, and fight the urge to go a little bit faster. Last question. One more from Elisa. And she even says that I've got one more. Here we go. Uh, I train alone during the week and try to stay in my aerobic heart rate zone on the weekend. I like doing my long run with my husband, but he's faster than me. We're training for a half right now, our first. So I have no real time goal. Uh, so my long run ends up also being my fastest run of the week. He slows down for me, but I'm still going fast for me. I can finish the distance and usually negative split the long run. Am I setting myself up for injury or can I do this safely? So, um, you know, Elisa, I, this is going to sound maybe a bit hypocritical to what I always say with, with heart rate training and sticking in your zones and sticking to the right numbers and not pushing it. But at some level for all of us running, we don't need to make running too formulaic. We don't need to make running too robotic. We need to, we need to have fun. We need to enjoy the process. And if I'm, if I'm reading between the lines correctly with your question here, these long runs with your husband, I'm assuming that that's about much more than just the, the training mile. That's, that's your time with your partner. That's your time 
to spend together. That's, that's relationship time, conversation time, hopefully. Hopefully you're having some great conversations running together during those long runs on the weekend. I think there's more value in that than there is in saying, honey, you go ahead because I, I have to slow down even more to keep my heart rate in the zone because some schmuck on a podcast that I listened to told me that's what I should do. With the caveat that you're not feeling broken down, you're not hurting, you're not, you're not injured, you're not anything like that on these, these long runs or, or feeling really, really beat up and sore and fatigued for days after these long, these long runs, these faster runs with your husband. Assuming that that's the case, that, that you finish those runs, you might be tired, but you know, you're able to function perfectly normal the rest of the day, the next day, things like that. Um, I have no problem at all with what you're doing. Uh, keep those, keep those solo runs, which I'm assuming are the, the runs during the week. Um, keep those runs nice and slow. Um, you know, not pushing the pace, keeping your, your heart rate well inside the zone, but on that long run with your husband, enjoy the time with your husband, enjoy the, enjoy that time together. And if it's a bit faster than ideal, you know, it's, so it's a bit faster than ideal, but again, we're, we're, we're more than just runners. In, in this case, you're a spouse, you're a partner. This is time together. You know, if, if you can convince him to slow down a little bit more, that, that'd be great. But if not, no, no worries. No worries at all. I, I, like I said, I have no problem with what you're doing. And as long as you're not noticing any negative outcomes from, from those runs, enjoy that time together. Enjoy that time together. So, uh, I hope that that, uh, I hope that helps Elisa and, uh, thank you for the question and everybody. Thank you all for the questions. That was, um, I think that might be the most questions we've ever had. I think this m- maybe not, isn't quite the longest quick t- or longest Q and a episode. It would certainly be the longest quick tip, but I don't think it's quite the longest Q and a episode, although it might be close, but, uh, that is it for today. That is it for the questions. Like I said, 22, 23 questions down and only, you know, only, only about 80 minutes. So that's not, that's not too bad. You know, if I, if I had, over under odds, I think I probably would have said it would have been a little bit longer than that. So uh, I think we did all right. Hopefully the answers made sense. Thank you again to everybody who left a question this this month. If you want to get some questions in next month, if you want to make the May listener Q&A episode even longer than, uh, than this hour and 20 minute monstrosity or whatever it finally ends up being here in the month of April, the best bet is to come on over and join the party in the Facebook group, disruns.com slash Facebook. You can also get there. Like I said, if you're just on the next time you're on Facebook, type into the search bar, disruns, you'll see the disruns page. You'll see the disruns group. You'll see a couple other disruns groups, but you know, just join the, just join the disruns tribe. That is the one. That is the one for everybody. Like I said, we, we let everybody in, um, innocent until proven creepy. So come in, join the party, crack some jokes. Like I said, post some memes, troll me a little bit. Um, as long as it's in good natured fun. And as long as you can take me trolling you right back, Hey, we got, we always got room for more, uh, and come, come join us in, uh, what I like to think is the best Facebook group, or at least we're on the, on the way on the path to becoming the best running Facebook group or best running group on Facebook, whatever I'm trying to say, that's what we're trying to create. Um, and so we always have room for more. If you're, if you're a runner, um, we've got room for you. So come check us out. Dizruns.com slash Facebook. And with that, I'll just go ahead and pull the plug on this one. Cause if I don't, my voice is going to be trashed and, uh, you know, I probably have to talk or something tomorrow. So I should probably, uh, keep my voice working. Uh, but thank you all for listening again. Thanks to everybody for the questions. Um, thanks for the shares. Thanks for helping tell other people about the show. Tell other people about what we've got going on over here. Uh, everything keeps growing. And, uh, I know it's because y'all, I know it's not because of me. Um, I just keep showing up. Y'all keep helping spread the word. So thank you for all that you do. I very much appreciate you guys. If there's ever anything else that I can do for you, 
besides answering a question on a podcast episode, let me know at Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. You can also always send me an email, Dizruns at gmail.com. You can always leave comments on any show notes. If you want to check out the show notes for today, there's links to the Little Things course. There's links to, uh, I don't know, whatever. I, I've got a few things linked up in here. Uh, Dizruns.com slash seven, what are we, 719, I think, for this episode. You can get your uh, get things posted up or head over there, click the links. There's GIFs. There's memes. You can leave a comment if you want as well. If there's anything else that needs to be clarified for you, you can let me know that there. Um, and if you if you get the emails, you can also always hit reply to any email that I send. It comes right back to me. Um, and I always love to, to see uh, to see that, that uh, something I wrote in an email made you want to hit reply and, and, re- and answer a question or share something from your life with me. So never feel free or never hesitate to do that. Always feel free to hit reply to any email that I ever send. Uh, Those replies are certainly appreciated. So uh, that is it for today. Until next time, please be well. Take good care. Hope you've had a great month of April, and uh, let's let's get uh, ready for May, right? Let's let's get get May started with a on a a good note. Have a great uh, great rest of the day, though, uh, and a great month of May. Uh, So until next time, be well. Take care. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, see you guys.